If you have your Bibles, let's get those open to Mark chapter 8 this morning. Mark chapter 8. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 21 this morning. Last week, I got the privilege and joy to take a trip to the Minneapolis Institute of Art with, with my daughter. We, she loves art. I love art. That museum is awesome. It's free, which is really awesome. Um, and one piece that I always try to never miss when we go there, it's a, it's a sculpture titled Veiled Lady. It's amazing. I don't know if you've seen it, it's from the Italian sculpture, Raffaello Monti, dated 1860. Um, and it was during this time where they used this amazing technique with marble, if, it was, if that was the medium, of smoothing and polishing and reflecting a light. So it gives this appearance of a see-through veil over the woman's face. And you get right up close to this, and it, it's just mesmerizing how real this looks. But you're not really seeing th- through anything. You are, you are seeing her. It is uh, one marble rock. And so part of perceiving the beauty of it is recognizing that they are one in the same, that there, there is no veil. When we come to a series of interrelated stories this morning about who Jesus is, this question of who is Jesus, and the, the ongoing misperception by others and the disciples specifically of who Jesus is, who he says he is, what he is doing. And even those who are right up close, staring at his face literally every day, witness to his miracles, hearing his words, his own disciples should see and know, and yet there's this ongoing struggle to, to understand. Jesus is revealing his identity as the sovereign son of God, and it wasn't through some tricks or some illusions to stump the disciples, other people. He's making himself known, and they are to see by his words and what he has already done and believe and have faith on him, and yet there is this this hardship, this struggle, distractions, the disciples seeming to be very narrow, fumbling around with temporal things and are missing this spiritual reality. And we're going to witness again the disciples need, they need divine help to see and to believe. And I, I believe the Lord wants to increase our faith this morning in Jesus. And we, we're going to be able to see him more clearly with his divine help today. And God, God uses circumstances. We all have our stories and situations where things have, have happened that increase our faith. Or we hear from somebody else's testimony that, that God's intervention, what seems to be impossible, um, God makes possible. And those are means that God uses. Um, but the person and work of Jesus Christ revealed in the gospel, his life, his death and resurrection is what produces faith in us and what will anchor us. As Romans 10 tells us, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. The disciples of Jesus are to be resolved in this faith and to resist unbelief, and they need God's intervention for both of those things, to see and to be kept. And so we're going to see these two pieces. We need Jesus' divine help to see and believe in him, and we need Jesus' divine protection to keep us from unbelief. And so we're going to read this larger block of text, and then we're going to pray and ask for the Lord's help. Chapter 1, or chapter 8, verse 1. 
In those days, when again a great crowd had gathered and they had nothing to eat, he called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from far away. And his disciples answered him, how can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? And he asked them, how many loaves do you have? And they said, seven. And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples and set before the people, and they set them before the crowd. And they had a few small fish, and having blessed, blessed them, he said to those, these also should be set before them. And they ate and were satisfied. And they took up the broken pieces, left over seven baskets full. And there were about 4,000 people. And he sent them away. And immediately he got into a boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmanathua. Well, I had this earlier. Dalmanathua. Or whatever. All right. So they take off to this district. The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, why does this generation seek a sign? Truly, I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them, got into the boat again, and he went to the other side. Now they had forgotten to bring bread, and they only had one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them, saying, Watch out. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000? How many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said, 12. And seven for the 4,000. How many baskets of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, seven. And he said to them, do you not yet understand? Let us pray. Lord, we come this morning to your word, and as we sang already this morning, show us Christ. We cannot see, we cannot hear without your divine help, and we thank you that as your people we can come to you, and we have the Spirit dwelling within us, and the Spirit helps us see and know and gives us faith, and so would you do that this morning as we hear your word Jesus, hear you speak to us. Give us fresh faith. Give us fresh hope. Give us fresh trust today. Amen. 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 So our first section here, we're going to be looking at these in sort of three blocks. We have this dinner or a meal. We're not sure if it's dinner, but dinner for the Gentiles. Now, the first thing we can observe, maybe you asked as you begin listening or reading along is, didn't this already happen? Uh, bread, fish, feeding a bunch of people out in a desolate place. 
is very similar to what happened uh, with the 5,000 men, which in chapter 6, which could have been very well 10, 20,000 with kids and, and women. Um, now, we love instant replays in sports. Uh, some of us do, some of us don't. I guess depending on what team you're rooting for and the outcome. But that, that catch that we, we saw happen and were they inbounds or determining the outcome of the game based on that out. Um, but Mark here is doing something and this isn't just a repetition of a previous story. Some would believe that maybe this is just a, uh, the same story retold. Um, but I, I think there's plenty of reasons to not embrace that. Uh, that approach. One, I think, is that Jesus refers to them as two different events, verses 19 and 20, uh, which is pretty clear. But there's something about an instant replay that helps us see something that we didn't before. And there is something going on here that is giving us a truth about who Jesus is, about his mission, about his identity, and about discipleship that Mark is going to connect this story with the following narratives. And we're going to be camping out a little bit more on those than this first section this morning. But the key here for us is where the feeding story is taking place in Mark and the location of where Jesus is. Now, if you remember, and if you even have your Bibles, you can kind of look there. Following chapter 7, in chapter 7, Jesus' disciples, they have this encounter with the religious leaders, the Pharisees, and they're worried about the disciples having unclean hands because of how they're not doing ceremonial washings and they're going to be unclean because they've contacted certain foods or things that were unclean. And, and Jesus teaches that the, the heart of man is the target. This is where things are unclean and where we need Jesus. And just following that, Jesus encounters the Seraphonician woman, the enemy of a Jew, the unclean to the Jew, and Jesus has mercy upon this woman and he heals her daughter. And he's traveling through this Gentile area, the Decapolis, and he touches a deaf man and he heals him. And so Jesus is still in this Gentile area on the east side of the Sea of Galilee. And here this crowd assembles, 4,000 we are told. And Jesus is moved by compassion on these people. The very ones the Jews would not go near, Jesus has been there with them for three days teaching them. And he is moved by compassion by their need in his mercy, and he feeds them. He feeds them. They have no food, and, and notice the initiation of Jesus in all of this, one of those differences from chapter 5 is the disciples were the ones that came and said, what are we going to do? we got to feed these people. And Jesus is the one who sees the need of the Gentile. He's the one not overlooking the need of this people, and he feeds them. He cares. So he gathers up the seven loaves and these few fish, and he prays, and it's multiplied. And what's interesting here is this word when he had bread and he'd given thanks, it's this Greek word that we get the word Eucharist from. And if you grew up in church, you may know that term. It's a reference to thanksgiving. And the term was adopted by the church to refer to the practice of communion, the Lord's table. And if you've noticed, there's been a lot of talk about bread lately. 
a lot of bread, breadcrumbs falling off tables, the feeding of the 5,000, and the, the bread that the disciples don't remember or their hearts are hardened. They didn't perceive that relating to the walking of the waters. All this bread. And I think what Mark is doing is he's bringing us to this place to consider Jesus' identity. And what's going to happen is we're not going to see the reference to bread again until Jesus breaks that bread with his disciples in the Lord's table before his death. There's an, there's an anticipation going on here. Our attention should be directed towards this direction of his cross. But what we're witnessing here is Jesus' mission expanding. He's multiplying the food, and the Gentiles are now the ones who eat and are satisfied. And there's abundance left over once again. I remember, we're always wanting to say, what would the first hearers and readers encounter in this moment? Imagine the initial readers. These are Mark's readers who would, uh, hearers would be Roman Christians who would be those outsiders. And they are reminded Jesus has compassion on them. He feeds them. He has moved towards them and will care for them compassionately, abundantly. Jesus' mission is expanding. His compassion extends to all people. And that's good news. Now, when you're reading, reading a story, not just Bible stories, but narratives, um, they, they'll describe the characters in those stories sometimes as round or flat. A round character is one that is filled out. There's a lot of description. There's a lot of dialogue of what's going on. And then you have your flat characters who are kind of like just the dull ones who are just sort of being there and observing. And we've got some, some flat characters here. <laughs> again, in this narrative. Jesus is the round character. He's speaking. He's doing. And the disciples are the ones who are asking, how are we going to feed these people again? I mean, didn't they remember? We're going to see more pictures of their dullness in our following text. So Jesus is being filled out. The disciples still seem a bit clueless here in this moment. They get in the boat and they head off, and Jesus encounters the religious leaders. Now, they go across to the western side, now to uh, uh, the western side, which was near Galilee, more than likely, and they're back in the Jewish area, and our favorite buddies show up to talk to Jesus. And it says they come to test Jesus. Now, this word can be translated tempted, they came to tempt Jesus. Now, Jesus in Mark has already encountered a tempter in the wilderness to test and challenge him to see if he really is the son of God. Who was that? That was, that was Satan. Parallel, maybe? And how do they tempt him? Well, they demand for him to do a sign from heaven. They, they, they want proof of his divinity, more proof of his authority. But this seems like a very odd question. I mean, have they not seen or heard of all that Jesus has been doing thus far? He has raised people from the dead. He has cast out demons. He has healed the lame. He has fed 5,000 and now 
4,000, these miraculous supernatural events were not enough for them. In contrast to the pagans, the, the Gentiles, the ones rushing to him in faith and are believing, the religious, again, blind to see. Blind to see what was really going on. And it says that Jesus sighed deeply in his spirit. This, this was a sigh of deep grief over hardness, over blindness, over sin. The resistance to, see, to receive him. Why does this generation seek a sign, he asks. I mean, God's kingdom was at hand. He was breaking in through his ministry, the ministry of Jesus, miracles pointing to what he is doing and who his, what his identity is, and they refused to believe. The very ones that should see and know refused. That's what made him sigh. James Edward helpfully points to the issue. Faith that depends on proof is not faith but only veiled doubt. Jesus will not perform a sign because he knows the motives of their heart. They really didn't want to know and believe. The outward proof, no matter what Jesus did, would not create faith to convince them. For their attention was on the sign and not on the person of Christ. If you're in a reading plan you're in Exodus, and you're probably maybe seeing a parallel here. Pharaoh is an example. He witnessed all kinds of signs, and they did not do enough to change him or convince him. And Jesus rejects their demands, and he says, this generation, I tell you the truth, will not receive a sign. He, he was not interested in doing miracles for a sideshow while their hearts were hard and resistant, willfully resisting him. James speaks of this in Ch James chapter 1 of the, the, the double-minded man or the double-hearted man will not receive anything from the Lord because they're, they're two-hearted. They, they don't really want what God wants and therefore their ask will be muted. And this is the same thing. It's a fulfillment of the, pro the prophecy we saw related to in Isaiah 6, the parable of the seed and sower seeing but not perceiving hearing but not understanding and this was a sign but it was a sign of their judgment a judgment upon them because they refused to receive him Jesus' works were to reveal his identity and invoke faith and trust on him Jesus was unveiling who he is but their hardness of heart kept it veiled to them and we could consider this even just in our day, the, the, the things that come to us to demand a sign to prove what we believe as Christians. Prove Christianity is true. Show me some proof. And it's encouragement for us that we don't have within us the power to make people believe. No matter how extravagant the sign would be, it cannot create faith. Matthew Henry wrote, if unbelievers will not be convinced, they shall not. <laughs> it takes a work of God. It takes a work of God. And so we do extend the gospel hope to people around us. And sometimes Jesus does use miraculous things to 
awaken folks, but oftentimes it is found in the practical, real-life things that we live in and out every day. I mean, even just think about Jesus' miracles. They, had to relate, they related to feeding people. They related to healing people. It's a reminder that the world needs, needs an antithesis as a witness to what it wants, meaning something different than what it often demands as signs of greatness. I know it's an exhausting time to try to keep up with if you want to be great. The things you have to do, the things you have to read, the, the things you have to accomplish in a day where we have to be, an, to be an influencer on everything, TikTok, Instagram, whatever that might be. I just want to encourage you young people, do not fall victim to that trap, that lie. And I observe this even just the pressure upon women and moms, the things you've got to do that is exhausting and wearying in order to be something. Business odor, you got to CEO, got to do yoga, got to raise a perfect kid, got to teach them Latin, got to author a Bible commentary, and so on. There's an excellent article I would just point you to by Melissa Kruger on the Gospel Coalition called Sisters, You Have Permission to Lead an Ordinary Life. If you wanted to look at that to serve your soul. But this is for men and women. We, we are called to something. We are called to love the Lord. We are called then to be faithful to our callings as disciples of Jesus. What that looks like in your family. What that means to your church. What that looks like on your job. And there is a, a strength and a power we need to be ordinary in those things and faithful to Jesus. Let's aspire to do great things for God, but let's take heed of the command in 1 Thessalonians, aspire to live, a quiet, live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands. There's power in that. The world around us needs a normalizing, steady, real love of God embodied in everyday life. While the world is demanding for us to do something, prove it and let it, so let it be. Let it be a sign of this. Let it be a sign of faithfully loving others with humility. Let it be a sign of fidelity and holiness in our marriage covenant. Let it be a sign of speaking evil of no one but respect, but loving your enemies. Let it be a sign of forgiveness to those around you who wound you rather than revenge or anger. Let it be a sign of courage to stand up for those who are oppressed. These are powerful gospel signs that the world needs. And he chooses to do those things through average disciples, normal people, and average things. Next, we see the ongoing difficulty of the disciples to understand. So they leave the Pharisees. They jump in the boat to head off again. And it says, now they had forgotten to bring bread and they had one loaf with them in the boat. There's a, some bread confusion to go on again with the <laughs> disciples. And Jesus cautioned them. Cautioned them, and then he said, watch out, beware. Those three words, that repetition should catch our attention. Cautioned, watch out, beware. What does he tell them? Beware of the leaven or the yeast of the Pharisees and the leaven or the yeast of Herod. 
And they began discussing among themselves, one another, the fact that they had no bread. Now, the first thing we should notice, problem number one, is, is as if the disciples didn't hear what Jesus just said. They're worried about not having bread. I mean, I can just imagine like, Peter, did you get the bread? I didn't get it. No, James, you were supposed to do that. Right? Where's the bread? And secondly, they didn't understand and remember who was with them. What Jesus just did and what those things were supposed to be revealing about his identity. So let's consider this leaven for a moment. The word yeast probably could be more helpful. And usually in scripture, when we hear that word yeast, it, it's negative. It means bad. This isn't positive. The idea is just a little bit of yeast germinates and infects the entire loaf of bread. A little germination of error spoils it all, is the point. And what do Pharisees and Herod have in common? What are they to watch out and beware of that looks like them, that is a yeasty component of them? Well, what they both have in common is their unbelief in Jesus. Their unwillingness to receive him and to receive his words. It's interesting in Matthew's account of the story, the yeast is, it, it, he calls it, it's the teaching of the Pharisees. And in Luke, the yeast is the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. Unbelief that leads to hypocrisy. Unbelief that leads to false teaching. Spiritual blindness, hard-heartedness, an unwillingness to trust and see Jesus. Jesus is warning his disciples of this. Be careful of the unbelief that could set in your heart that is similar to Herod and the Pharisees. He warns them of this danger. Yet the disciples are digging around in their knapsacks trying to figure out if they had bread. But Jesus is kind. He loves these disciples. So he asked them a bunch of questions. Why are you discussing bread? Do you not perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes do you not see? Having ears do you not hear? Do you not remember? I fed the 5,000. How many loaves were left? I fed the 4,000. How many loaves were left? Do you not yet understand? Just hang on to that word, yet. It echoes the prophet's words of Jeremiah. Hear this, O foolish and senseless people who have eyes but see not, who have ears but hear not. Jesus sighs at the blind unbelief of the Pharisees and Jesus is bewildered by the lack of sight of the disciples. We should slow down and we should hear Jesus' words and, and get this warning I think this very startling warning from James Edwards. He says, the hardened heart is a particular problem for religious and moral people. An ignorant heart cannot harden itself. Only a knowing heart can harden itself. And that is why those closest to Jesus, the Pharisees and the disciples, stand in the gravest danger. Because I know. I know. 
but they didn't remember. And we can be susceptible to the same danger. Jesus wasn't trying to simply get them to remember that he had power to reproduce food, that he had miracle power. I mean, he could take this one loaf in there and make 12 loaves and they'd be okay. But he wanted them to understand his, his true identity, to, to believe on him as the son of God and savior. Faith with, with understanding, not blind faith, but informed faith. And all these miracles were to be pointing to his gospel work, his identity. James Garland writes, it is the inability to recognize the miracles point to God, bringing a new age through the power manifested in Jesus. These signs were pointing to a destination, as all signs do. That destination was for them to see Jesus as Messiah, Son of God, Savior. And yet the dullness, slowness of the disciples were focused on the temporal. Jesus, how we feed these people. What about the storm? Jesus, the crowd. Jesus, the bread. And not seeing Jesus himself. So the concern, the concern possibly could be their proximity, their nearness, and they were susceptible to this same unbelief as well. Just information, but not faith upon him. We can be great as Christians gathering data and information and not operate in faith in our heart upon Jesus as our object. They are not immune to this subtle process of a little yeast working its way into their heart as much as we are as well. What we say is not what we are. It's hypocrisy. To be near hearing and seeing, but unbelief be operating in our hearts as well. And our hearts can fall prey to seeing things temporal, here and earthly, and it skews our attention on Jesus himself, who's right there with us in the boat. But Jesus' question, I even just kind of maybe even hear him kindly, do you remember? Do you remember? It's not for us to recall data points and facts, but for us to recall him. Faith in him. Faith in who he is. And his divine help is what we need in order to see and to believe. I love this small section of a prayer by St. Augustine. Prayed it myself. He says, alas, O Lord my God, tell me what you are to me. Say to my soul, I am your salvation. Say it so that I can hear it. My heart is listening, Lord. Open the ears of my heart and say to my soul, I am your salvation. Let us hear. Let us hear. So the disciples are to see him as Savior, ushering in this new age of the kingdom of God for all people. We're seeing this with the crowd that Jesus fed the Jewish crowd, this new covenant to the people of Israel. We see it now, this Gentile crowd, his mercy and salvation is extending beyond them to all of the world, and his disciples must see this. But how will they see this? How, how will we perceive and see this? By his loving help, by his mercy and grace. 
We need his divine help to see and believe in him. And we need his divine protection and help to keep us from unbelief. And he loves these disciples. Remember his question, do you not yet understand? He doesn't give up on these men. He does not give up on his disciples. His question to them exposes their weakness, but it wasn't questions to cut them off. And I think there's some humor within this, in this little section as well that we should grasp. The, the sort of blind, sort of dense, you know, the obvious thing. They're digging around trying to find bread, and Jesus is trying to really help them see, and they're talking about bread. We should laugh at that. We should laugh at that, and we're supposed to laugh at ourselves. I think, I think sometimes we are too serious about our failings, and it's, our, it's my pride. I don't laugh enough at my failings. I just say, Jesus, I, I am dull. I'm dense. I need help. Help me see. I'm blind. I'm slow. I'm, I'm weak. I lack understanding. I forget. I'm distracted. I get caught up on the temporal and stuff here, and I don't see you as I should. I need your help. The disciples were learning. They were learning. We're, we're following along as they learn, and and we should be okay with learning as well. And it, it's a call for us to be patient as we learn together with other disciples who are like us, slow and dull and lack understanding and have weakness. Move towards one with mercy and grace in that. But as Mark is unfolding this for us, as Jesus is in his gospel, he is moving us towards that good news. That good news that he came to preach that Mark chapter 1 was pointing us to. After Jesus, as John was arrested, Jesus went through Galilee preaching the gospel of God and saying, almost, anybody else? What? The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is near, repent and believe the gospel. His good news, his gospel has come. This is, this is where he was set the course for at the beginning. This is where he was going. And Mark is unfolding that for us. And we should be right at home with their lack of inability to see clearly with those disciples, but knowing our Savior loves to help us and offers us divine assistance so we can understand what matters most what our hearts need to remember most. Where does he lead us to remember, to understand? It is his cross. It is his cross, the display and sign of his true power and glory. It is the sign of weakness and foolishness to those who don't believe. The world doesn't get that. They will remain in unbelief, but to those who believe, it is the power and glory of God revealed in Jesus, the suffering servant of God. Him laying his life down as a ransom for many. It would be this. It would be the cross and resurrection that would ultimately propel these disciples to see and understand most clearly. And it is what we need most clearly, saints, now by the Holy Spirit. This is what we need to remember. And Paul draws attention to this to to the church in Corinth, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. 
For Jews demand signs, and the Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. So fellow disciples, our brothers and sisters, consider your calling. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many of you were noble of birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring nothing things that are, that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus. Divine sight came to you, divine faith came to you, and you are in Christ, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. My friends, if your heart is soft today, if you have ears to hear and eyes to see and you understand what Jesus has done in his gospel to save you and you can remember that understand that and you have faith upon the savior this is amazing praise the Lord it is proof of his affection and love for you unveiled to see him what grace If you're drifting towards unbelief this morning, components of hard hardness, hardness in you, remember again Jesus Christ crucified for you. Remember what he did to achieve salvation for you. Let him be your boast today. Let him be your treasure today. Maybe you're here this morning and you... You're having a hard time seeing and believing. You're, you are struggling. Well, Jesus has compassion on you. Come to him. Say, Lord, help me to see. Help me to know. Help me to believe. I need divine assistance. And he is gracious to feed and give and provide and help you see. We have a good, kind Savior. So come. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you do help us see the thing that would have just been folly to us, the thing that in our pride we would demand some sort of sign. Jesus, you've come in your kind compassion and you, you, you show us, you've shown us the, your cross. You've shown us our hearts and our need for salvation and you've, seen, you've shown us the beauty of what you've done, and you've become all things. You've become righteousness and sanctification and redemption so that we can, we can make our boast in you, and we can be with you and be near you. And so would you help us to see more clearly? We need your divine help to see you, Lord, today as we should, to hope in you. And we, we are like these disciples. We're caught up in earthly and temporal and we we miss that you're right there with us jesus so give us fresh faith and would you help us lord to to be to be to heed your caution 
against the things that can subtly, like yeast, just germinate in our hearts that, that lead to unbelief, that lead us to not seeing you as we should and trusting in you as we should. So guard our hearts, protect our hearts, keep us, Lord, in that. We ask this all for our, our, our joy and our hope in you and, Lord, for your glory as your people in your church. Amen. Amen.